Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Woody Off the Cuff podcast. I'm really excited to speak with you today. For me, I'm recording on a Monday morning. I'm energized. I'm excited. I'm sure I will be depressed and sad by 6 o'clock tonight when it's dark due to daylight savings time. But hey, mornings are great in daylight savings time, so let's appreciate what's good about it. Today, I am bringing you a topic that is honestly an excellent follow-up to the last episode about active grieving, and it's really a super actionable topic today. And the topic is facing the truth. Now, it sounds intense. It is intense. It is also the action that I believe is at the core of this active grieving stuff, of this recovery, of this help process. And so today what I'm going to do is tell you how I actively grieve by facing the truth with help and how it makes my life so much better. And so today I'm not just spitting theories, I'm not just saying some buzzwords or some ideas. You know, there's so many self-help resources out there that just say, oh, don't worry, or be happy, or think this way, or think that way. But today, what I'm going to do is tell you exactly how I do this grieving and help stuff, exactly what effects I get, and exactly what the before, during, and after looks like. So I hope that this will be immensely helpful to you. It's going to scare you a little bit, probably. But this is also the answer to living a well-being and like happy life. So I'm excited to tell it to you. At least that's what I think. You know, feel free to think for yourself. And honestly, always think for yourself. Don't ever take something someone else says at face value. Be skeptical, question, and then consider whether it's right to try it for yourself. And I think this idea will hold up to questioning and skepticism, which is why I'm secure about sharing it. So facing the truth, what do I mean? How do we do it? And why does it work so well? And what does it look like? When I say facing the truth, I mean a specific thing. I mean admitting things that have happened to you that were traumatic, things that are hard about the world or about your current situation that you are already aware of on some level, or anything distressing or scary, or anything you're pushing to the back of your mind that's really positive that you're too scared to admit is so great. Essentially, what I mean by facing the truth is not knowing every single thing about everyone's business or knowing every secret everyone's kept from you. It's admitting the things you are repressing from yourself or that you feel too ashamed to face. Now, the reason this is so important is because I've found that all of my mental health issues or addictive issues or stress issues, my overwhelm, it's all been so driven by secrets I've kept from myself and others. And it's all been so driven by not facing my past traumas or things that were hard for me. And having those secrets has caused me to isolate myself, to not seek support, to not believe I'm worthy of support. And so sharing your challenges, your secrets, your truth, whatever it is, is so powerful and it does set you free as the saying goes, because then you feel like you don't have this barrier between you and everybody else. So fundamentally, the thesis of this episode is if you share the truth 
all the truths, the happy, the ugly, the good, the bad, in a completely safe space, you are going to feel better. You're going to feel connected to other humans, and that's going to affect your well-being across the board in every spectrum imaginable. You know, studies show that people who have robust and healthy social networks, that can actually be a bigger health benefit than having low cholesterol or better blood work. Some studies show that people who have better quote-unquote physical stats but no social network or a really poor one actually are more likely to die of physical causes than someone who has a really robust social network that's really healthy but worse blood work or, you know, whatever that means. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. And I will try to find a study on that and cite it for you in the comments of this episode, if I can remember. So with that said, and the thesis sort of stated, I'm going to tell you a really personal story about myself and how exactly sharing this truth works and why it's so amazing. I could pick from a lot, but I think the simplest, best, and most honest one would be the story of me deciding to tell the world, hey, I am gender non-binary. I don't identify as a binary man. I don't identify as a woman. Frankly, I just identify as a person. And, you know, I'm part of the queer community. I fall under that umbrella. And I just love it. I'm just so happy not having to fit a gender norm, you know, and being able to just be myself. Now, as you can imagine, and as you probably know from throughout history, you know, queer people being discriminated against, and, you know, in the past, a lot of focus on people who are, you know, gay, lesbian, right, like having to come out to society, you know, and I'm pretty sure the community doesn't use the term coming out anymore. It's more just like letting people in on who you actually are, you know, you shouldn't have to come out. Um, And I kind of use it interchangeably, because frankly, I'm still getting educated and I don't know all the right things to say. But the point is, I chose to share an honest truth with the world. And part of my truth is that there will always be people who discriminate against me for being gender non-binary. I will always get weird looks and questions for using they, them pronouns. Um, Thankfully, I look like a white man and can pull that off right now. And so I will not face most of the physical or violent discrimination that most either transgender, non-binary people, you know, people who look like more like women or feminine, um, people of color that those people face. But at the end of the day, I am still going to have struggles and mental health issues and challenges related to my gender identity. It's just not going to be easily picked up or accepted by the world. Okay. And so, yes, part of speaking my truth is coming out, or as I said, the terminology more being used now is letting people in. It felt so good to share that I'm non-binary with my social networks. It really did. Honestly, if I told you the few weeks before leading up to, you know, announcing that to the world, which I didn't have to do, I was just, I first told Preetha, and then I told some other people, and I felt this euphoric feeling of accepting myself and accepting the truth. You see, I had been repressing that I didn't feel like a man, and I never had, you know? So when I say, and maybe you're curious, what, how did you know you're non-binary? What is, how did that go, right? Well, what I realized is I never really felt 
like I fit in with the typical male norms. I was never rough or aggressive or, you know, confrontational. Um, and again, those are just some, but it's important to acknowledge that if you're seen as a certain social category, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whatever, if you're seen as that, people are going to treat you as that. And so it's important to, you know, change the perception if you don't want to fit that stereotype. Um, but anyway, right. I realized I was at parties and social events and I just felt like a child compared to the men at the events. Honestly, I have felt this way. I'm 29 now. I have felt this way my whole life that I never, ever, ever felt like a man. And when I was a kid, it wasn't as big of a problem because I could just do like guy related stuff. And I was a kid, you know, but as I went into my mid twenties and adulthood and late twenties, I still had this issue where I would see other men and think, wow, they're an adult, they're a man. And I feel like a child, but most importantly, I'm just not a man. I don't have that manliness in me. It's nowhere to be found. And even more recently this year, I stopped really watching sports or playing video games or doing anything associated with being a man. I mean, honestly, you know, one of the first things someone said to me when I told them that I was non-binary is they said, oh, you just have the wrong idea of what a man is. You just have a flawed perception because of stuff in your past or your upbringing. And, you know, I let them say that, but I also thought, <laughs> I wish I'd said this, what is a man, you know? What does that mean? Like, aside from your, you know, physical parts, what does it mean? Tell me what a man is and I'll tell you why I'm not because I don't do anything that men do and I don't do too many things that women do. I'm just kind of doing my own thing and having fun and I don't fit as easily into a social category. And so I realized I was non-binary, was telling people and I'm having a great time. And the moment I started telling people, I felt so much better. So this is the first thing that I would say is I told you that we don't just repress bad things and I don't want to be that person who has like a really intense and only like serious podcast or a negative podcast. Like it's all about the trauma. Trauma is so heavy. We have to face our trauma and slog through it like it's mud and it will be a horrible, brutal journey, but you have to do it. That's kind of what I feel like sometimes. But it's not how I feel on the inside. And so I'm trying to make that clear that, you know, there are things we repress about ourselves that are great that we repress because we're too scared to break out of the box. And those are just as damaging, if not more. I cannot describe the euphoria I feel at just saying I'm non-binary and wanting to be referred to by gender neutral terms like a sibling or a spouse, you know, or a child. I just love it. And it is so awesome and that is a direct result of speaking my truth, okay? But here's the other truth, right? Is that I would have never spoken that out. I would have never realized that if it weren't for the fact that there were safe people who I could talk to honestly. And I would say this is one of the biggest bottlenecks in all of our lives that makes us stick to societal norms that don't make sense, that keeps society backwards and, you know, this sort of like kind of patriarchal, like dominant society where everybody has to think the way that they're commanded to. Um, 
And, you know, by the way, so much still goes on across the world where that is really the case. You know, I'm podcasting from the Eastern United States where I am very privileged and I can be who I want to be. And meanwhile, you know, people in other countries in like Iran, for example, who are queer are being killed for their gender identity, you know. And so you've got people in different places in the world who are very much oppressed just for wanting to be themselves. And even here, you know, people are, right? So I just want to be clear, though, while I'm the happy, you know, friendly person, (laughs) there is serious stuff going on around the world. And I'm going to tell you about that because you're safe here with me. And it's okay. And we're going to face it together. That's part of this lesson. Anyway, right? I would not have come out and or let the world in or again, trying to get my terminology right, but I'm just sort of, you know, saying what I say. I wouldn't have done this and shared this truth with the world if I wasn't confident. I had lots of people who were totally safe who wouldn't judge me. And so this is why help is so important to confronting the truth. We confront the truth because living in the truth creates a strictly better reality. If I live a lie, everything is hampered. Everything when I was like trying to be a man and couldn't just made me miserable and anxious and inferior. And now I don't feel any of that in the same way. I feel so much better, all because I admitted the truth. But admitting the truth is scary, even when it's positive, because there can be repercussions. And admitting those challenging truths can be painful. So the truth can set you free, yes, but the truth hurts also, yes, right? So acknowledging that I'm now going to have to face debates and discrimination and just awkward conversations, right? That was hard. And so what did I do? I used my own help method and I sought out a peer support group to help me with mental health issues and stuff related to being queer. Because, hey, what did, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? And so this is why facing the truth and support groups go hand in hand. The group I joined is an institution I list on my free mental health resources sheet, which is listed in every podcast episode, by the way. And it is a group called National Alliance on Mental Illness in AMI. I'm pretty sure that's what it stands for. And I just knew that this resource existed because of the research for my book. So I searched for, you know, local NAMI chapters for queer people. And so I looked it up and sure enough, there was an NAMI, you know, LGBTQIA plus meeting on Zoom for free run by a trained facilitator held to high standards in a safe environment. And so about a month and a half, two months ago, I don't know the exact timeline, I went to one of these meetings. I just looked it up, popped in on Zoom. It was for my local area, but people could come from all over. And there were about 12 people. And it was like this wonderful, magical, safe space. Everyone, you know, when they shared, they like listed their pronouns when they said their name. And so you knew that what people's pronouns were. And that was so nice. And since it's about not just you know, gender identity, but also mental illness, we could talk about our different mental illness diagnoses or our traumas or our challenges. And so here I was in a free available online from home in the evening after work time support group with people like me, but not just people like me, people with the same struggle and the same truth as me. 
going through the same things and sharing it. And what I realize is the more I go to meetings like this, where people mostly just share their struggles in a kind and, you know, honest way, and then we just kind of give each other support. Nobody has to fix anybody else. Nobody's allowed to, you know, say anything mean to anybody else. And we talk together about common challenges, common truths. And then immediately after, I feel much better, much less dissociated, much less likely to do an addictive behavior, much less likely to be upset, much more likely to do productive work, much more likely to love myself, much more likely to go make a friend, all as a direct result of that support based in my truth. So, you know, the truth will set you free, but the truth is too hard to face alone. If you have a serious, deep truth that's really challenging you, whether it be a childhood abuse or whether it be something about yourself that you love so much but that the world doesn't see, maybe you're a writer or a poet or a musician or an artist, guess what? There are also support groups where people will get that truth. I also... I'm currently recording this while I'm on a support group call where I've muted and turned off my mic and, you know, turned off my camera and technically I actually exited the meeting for a little bit to record this. And then I'll jump back in after I'm finished recording while I'm publishing it. But I'm also in a support group called Shut Up and Write. And here I was earlier this year writing a book and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so lonely This is so hard. I'm creating this beautiful book called Help, I'm Overwhelmed, and I'm going to help so many people, but it feels like no one's hearing me and no one's paying attention. And I love this book, but I hate how lonely I am. You see it? The truth and the mental illness or trauma or challenge at the same time. And so what did I do? (laughs) Thankfully, I was writing a book on the topic, so I thought I need a support group. And so now every weekday from 10 to 12, If I need it, I go to a support group for writers where we emotionally support each other as we work. And it's very similar to my mental illness group. We just talk about what we're working on and we share the struggle and everyone is an aspiring artist and everyone is a writer and everyone is kind and supportive. And if they're not, we kick them out. And it's this beautiful, safe place to struggle with my writing and to love the truth of my beautiful writing. And wow, that is the reason I wrote my book. It's the reason I'm podcasting to you. It is the reason for all of my success in writing is this support group. And guess what? Same characteristics as the queer mental health support group. Kind people voluntarily meeting, in this case, again, online from home. And in the writing group's case, we talk for 10 minutes and then we silence ourselves and write for the rest of the hour. So it's a productivity group, but I've got other people there with me. And if I didn't have them sharing the struggle, then there's no chance my book would be published. So these two groups are both evidence of a key principle that it's not actually advice, information, or motivation, or intense, you know, like outside motivation that makes us do things successfully and be happy. It's actually relieving the bottleneck, which is admitting our struggles where we'll be heard. And in scientific terms, what I would call it is 
I use a theory called polyvagal theory. Um, you should look it up. I'll actually link a polyvagal theory YouTube video here as well. I'm going to take a note on that just while I'm talking. Link polyvagal video. And yeah, I'm a little lazy, so I'm not going to edit that out. But anyway, um, this theory says we essentially have three states, which is our healthy, happy social state, or our fight or flight state, or our totally dissociated, numb state, like a possum playing dead. It's so scared. It doesn't know what to do, so it just literally shuts itself off to try and be uninteresting and survive. Um, and so we got these three states, and basically what we need to do is find support groups and people and situations where they are in the socially regulated and safe space so we don't have to feel like we're fighting or fleeing. And I would argue that almost every workplace, school place, family place, religious place, like all of these can so quickly put us into fight or flight or a dissociated state. Now, all of them can also be amazing. There can be an amazing church setting where you feel so safe. There can be an amazing work setting where you feel so safe. There can be an amazing teacher who makes you feel safe. But I want you to think about any of these societal situations where people were too busy worrying about you to just be able to keep you safe. You know, even when people want the best for you, they often worry and they often project a fight response trying to fix you. And so whether you're at school or at home or in a religious institution or in another social institution or at work or at a family gathering, you know, or just walking around outside, people, we all catch this fear from each other. And we all actively then have fight or flight responses towards each other. And we're constantly walking on eggshells around each other and constantly nervous. Oh, if it comes to this point, I'm going to have to fight back. And so we're all tense. And I'm telling you, in the real world, we just project that at each other nonstop, right? Have you ever really had a work day where you never felt a little fight or flight instinct, a little pressure that something was important and you had to get it done? Have you really ever been to a class or a school where you never felt a little pressure that, oh, I've got to get this question right. I've got to get this answer right. You know, most of the time it's got a little bit of that. And so the reason we need specific support groups that have the only goal of creating a safe space to share is because only then can we come out of this either dissociated and numb or fight or flight response into a healthy response that is pro-social and engaged. So if you have problems with social anxiety, if you have problems with performance anxiety, if you have any kind of mental illness, you're going to be helped by finding a support space because by definition, these spaces are all meant to create safety and that allows you to go out of this traumatic response and into a healthy one. And when you're in a healthy response, you will do everything better while feeling physically better, you know? And so everything across the board gets better. That's why as my one thing that I, you know, teach and preach and whatever word you want to give me for what I'm saying now, it's all about facing the truth and getting support. Because until you have faced the truth and gotten complete safety and support, nothing else really matters because it's all going to happen in this fight or flight or this dissociated state. Dissociated means numbing yourself out by watching too much TV, 
You know, it means doing drugs or needing an excessive amount of alcohol. It means being codependent on another person. It means just shutting yourself down and being numb at work all day and not thinking or feeling. It means just telling yourself, I don't want to feel anything today. I just have to get through it. That's what dissociation is like. And fight or flight means thinking or feeling, I have to fix this now or something's going to go wrong. I have to run away right now. I have to watch hypervigilantly to make sure no one comes at me or no one insults me or no one thinks I'm doing a bad job, right? When we hear our therapists and our other mental health experts talk about all these cognitive distortions, like, you know, mind reading or catastrophizing or what have you, labeling, those things are ultimately the result of some kind of fight or flight or dissociated reaction. And if we're in a safe, healthy social space, what we realize is that we can all be nice to each other, support each other, and we get far better results. And so ultimately today, I guess I just came here to say that confronting the truth when done with the appropriate, and I've been using this word a lot, commensurate, equal level of safe social support is the most amazing thing in the world. Now, you don't want to go and listen to this podcast and then bring up all your most traumatic memories by yourself. That is not what I'm telling you to do. And by the way, I'm not a licensed mental health expert giving any kind of expert advice. I'm just a person podcasting informally. But when I have serious traumas, I dig them out just a little at a time by noticing my crazy responses. So the first thing is I notice, hey, something feels off. The second thing is I say, oh, like maybe there's something deeper going on here. I need support. In my support groups, like my NAMI group, or my, um, what was the other one I said, the writing group, I share honestly about my struggles. And without getting any advice, any physical help, any anything tangible except the eyeballs and smiles and physical co-regulation, is what it's called, of these other supportive people, that is actually very tangible, by the way, so I shouldn't say nothing tangible. But all I seek in these support groups is co-regulation with people in the same struggle. And when we do that scientific co-regulation of smiling, supporting, and giving each other safety, we all go out and do amazing things because that was the bottleneck all along. Come on, we're in the smartphone age. Do you really think information or training is the bottleneck to human society? We've got more information than we can ever deal with, you know? But to be able to use this information, we've got to be safe. And to be safe, we have to be able to look at the truth. Because if we're repressing our truth, then we're always going to know we're compromising. And I will switch to the first person perspective to be more, um, to be less pressure on you. I will always know I'm compromising if I don't admit my truth. And I will always have shame if I'm not being honest to my truth. That's what I know from experience. Two years ago, if you had asked me how much shame I felt, I would have said, I feel so much shame about myself. I don't want any friends. I don't want to talk to anybody. In fact, two years ago in 2020, I had chose to voluntarily go off my medication and therapy because I just didn't think I needed it anymore. I had, it had just turned daylight savings time around this time. I was so depressed. I didn't think there was any purpose to life. I wasn't suicidal, but I was just depressed. I was like, life is meaningless. And I was just thinking, I don't have any friends or any social support besides my wife. 
And honestly, I was just really sad every night. And now two years later, after about a year and a half of actively seeking social support and trauma recovery and mental health, I still was a little depressed last night after daylight savings happened and it got dark, but I also knew I have such purpose in life. I am so excited to be alive on a daily basis. I still have trauma and challenges, but I am immensely happier. My quality of life is so much better. Everything for me has transformed in the past two years, and it is not because I did anything fancy on my own. It's literally just I started confronting my truths and asking for help, and it's just a cycle that I call like an upward spiral. You just face another hard truth, and then when that truth hits you and you're like, wow, emotional pain, ouch, the truth hurts, you say, I'm going to go share this hurt with all the safe people I can find. And again, I can show you where those people are. I've got a resource sheet that you can download for free that tells you where a lot of those people are, you know? And I've got a book that can tell you how to find therapy and other professionals to help you. And I engage all those resources. So every time a new trauma or a new trigger or a new deeper truth comes up, even a positive one, like saying to the world, oh, I'm non-binary and I love that, I then go share it with all my safe people, you know? Not with the whole world right at once, but with all my safe people until I'm back to a regulated state. It's not always perfect, but wow, does it work. So that's my pitch for you today. And also more than a pitch, it's just my personal experience. I've got to share it. This podcast for me is an act of sharing my truth. And I know that people who are not interested in this will not stay on the podcast, you know? So I'm here sharing it with other people who resonate with this. It's an act of sharing my truth for me. And here's the maybe the most freeing thing of all that I'm learning is the more you share your truth, the less you have to push anything else on anybody else. So yeah, I am literally asking you to buy my book and buy my coaching. And I'm asking you to help take up my services so that I can earn an income. And yet I am really not personally attached to you having to believe what I believe. You can think this whole episode was nonsense, or you can think, oh, it sounds good, but I'm not going to do it. That's perfectly okay. I don't mind. Everyone's situation is different. All of us need to question and find our own answers. And that applies to you and me too. You know, if there's got a piece of advice I got for you is if someone tells you to never question and to always just believe one thing, run the opposite way. If someone tells you, question everything, even question the person giving the advice, that's probably a person who cares about you and has your best interests at heart. So I'd like to think I have your best interests at heart, but hey, you can question that too. Maybe I'm just out here to sound good and get your money. I mean, what do do I know? Um, Anyway, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast about the truth. I hope it has shown you how important help is. You cannot face the truth on your own, which is why so few people face it. But if you face your truths with tons of social support, then mm, if your life is anything like mine, it's going to get so good. So have a great day. As always, feel free to check out the links below. I'm going to try to link a social network study to show the health benefits of social networks and also a quick YouTube video on polyvagal theory, which I just love, um, by one of the experts, Deb, Deb Dana. And I will talk to you next time. Have a great day.